Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well. Already six weeks have passed since the start of the year and Chinese New Year is just a few days away, right? And how many of you, like myself, right, thought that by the time we would have Chinese New Year, it would all be fine, right? I mean, we had watch parties during Christmas, right? So by the time Chinese New Year happens, it could only get better, right? Apparently not. And, and my friends, let me just encourage you. Let me just encourage you. There is no better time in history, in the history of our nation, in the history of our lives, in the history of this world, than to let the love of Jesus shine. You know, in Chinese New Year, speak love, speak joy, cast out fear. And there's a lot of fear going on in our nation right now. Cast out fear with the love of Jesus. Bless. I know that if, if you've seen the Singaporean advisory for Chinese New Year, it says there, you know, please don't say the usual auspicious phrases. Well, friends, first of all, you're in Malaysia. And if you're watching in Singapore, welcome to, to, to SIBKL's service. Um, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. But hey, for those of you who are in Malaysia, for those of you who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, here's my encouragement to you. Bless. If you don't know what to say, say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. We all need that. We all need that peace. We all need the Lord's favour upon us. So you do that, whether you're wearing your mask or you're not wearing your mask, it's okay. You do that as you low your yisang and then after you eat your yisang, right? But my encouragement to you friends, in all seriousness, have a wonderful Chinese New Year with your family, with your friends, and as you do, bless, bless. Bring the love of Jesus and bless. We're in our series on overcoming, and I must say, the word that has been spoken has been and is powerful. I want to encourage you to listen to it and to apply what has been shared in all the different aspects of overcoming, overcoming fear, overcoming struggles and, and, and challenges, overcoming together. All of that is powerful and I just want to encourage you to, to apply it in your lives. And as a church, we will overcome. I mean, tell, tell yourself or tell the friend or the family member next to you, it says, we will overcome. Put it on the chat, say, we will overcome. 2021, together, we overcome. You know, when I started to think about this last year, as I, as I thought, what, what aspect of overcoming uh, I want to address, the one word that came to my mind, and, and I feel this is what God has really placed in my heart, is the word apathy. The word apathy. You know, it it's been playing in my mind actually since last year, since December last year, and even right up to today. And the reason why I think that's the case is because not just am I going to share this with you, I believe God was also processing it with me. Processing it with me and saying, Wayan, in your life, there are certain things that you've got to deal with that you are apathetic about. That, and, and so all of that was going through, going through in my life as I'm thinking about what I want to share with you today. But I hope that the Spirit takes the same word that God has been speaking to me about and apply that in your life. Make it come alive in your life. Shall we just begin with a word of prayer? Father, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that your word becomes that double-edged sword that just pierces through bone and marrow and changes our lives and our hearts. Transform us, Lord, with your word that we will become men and women who will be victorious overcomers for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, why apathy? Well, here's what I believe. 
there are two spiritual attitudes, let me just call that attitudes, that would cause us to be unable to overcome. The two attitudes that would derail us from our full destiny and our full calling, these are the two spiritual attitudes that I believe the enemy would want us to always have so that he would be able to derail us. And these two attitudes are being fearful, which says, I'm scared, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid. That's being fearful. And we've dealt with that when we talked about overcoming fear. The second one is this, apathy. And apathy says, I don't care. What's the point, right? This is not worth my time. And, you, and so you, be, you have this attitude of apathy that just makes you not do anything because you're apathetic. You're not doing anything because you don't really care. It is not worth your time. It is not worth your effort. And so if the enemy can get us to live in fear and apathy, then here's the situation. We would be derailed from our destiny. And so church, we need to overcome both fear and apathy, both of these attitudes. Now, how does apathy set in? Here's one major example, and this is the one that I think God was just bringing me through uh, as I thought about this. You know, with all the circumstances that we're in and, and the, that we're currently in, right, in the midst of a pandemic, you know, that affected our, our health, our finances, our families, even the way we do church, affected our jobs. And it's very easy and frankly, quite perhaps justifiable to then begin to shift our focus inwards, to shift our focus inwards and say, how will we survive? It's called survival mode. How will we get through this? How will we survive this season? How shall we make it through this season? And friends, that's a very common question we ask ourselves when we come into this kind of situation. Survival mode, a defense mechanism, right? You brace yourself, you protect yourself, you hold off on all the non-essentials, and you hold tightly to your reserves. But you and I also know that the moment we do this, this is what's going to happen. We're going to be walking into a room of mirrors where all we see is ourselves. All we see is ourselves. Am I healthy? Am I financially okay? Is my office going to survive? Is my family going to be okay? Do I have what I need? Will I survive? My friends, three things come out of that. And these are things that are really, really important for us to realize. First of all, when we walk into that room of mirrors, we begin to lose sight of God. We look so inward at ourselves, at our survival, that we lose sight of God and the things that are on His heart. And when we lose sight of the things that are on His heart, we forget that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We forget that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven called to do what God has called us to do. And when we lose sight of God, that's what we lose. Friends, here's a question that I want to ask you, a simple test to find out if we've lost sight of God. That question is this, how's your prayer life? How has your prayer life been? It's one thing to pray. You know, you pray before you eat your food, you pray when you've got certain needs that you need to, to, to sort out. But it's totally another thing when you pray and your prayer sessions are filled with an encounter with Jesus Christ. An encounter with God, where God becomes so real to you, right? When your heart and your spirit is so caught up with that experience of God, of knowing God, of, of saying, God, 
I, I know your presence is here. I know your spirit is speaking to me now and I'm responding to it in my worship. I'm responding to it in my prayer. I'm responding to it as I'm reading the word. When he begins to reveal things that are on his heart and then your heart becomes so caught up and so, and so enamored by who God is. And your own concerns, your own worries, your own anxieties, they become negligible. I don't know about you, but my question to you is, when was the last time you had that kind of session of prayer and devotion and worship with God? Because that's one way of finding out whether we've begun to lose, to lose sight of God. Have our eyes been so fixed on Jesus? Or have we been so fixed on ourselves in that room of mirrors? The second thing is this, not just do we lose sight of God, we begin to lose sight of our world. We begin to lose sight of the circumstances and the, and the situations that are around us, that surround us, that affect the people around us. I'll give you an example. Just the other day, I had a conversation with a man who had a shop that, just, that, that he operates just down the road from my office. And I spoke with him and, and I didn't even ask him the question that warranted the answer that I got from him. I asked him a simple question, do you frame up jigsaw puzzles? Because that's a little something that we do as a family during MCO, you know, MCO one, we did one jigsaw puzzle, MCO two, we did another one. And so I asked this guy, um, do you frame up jigsaw puzzles? And he said, well, you just go to the shop down the road. He, he explained that to me, gave me some directions. But then he also said, and I didn't ask him, but he also said this. He said, he pointed across the road and said, that shop, that shop, that shop, this shop, all closed down. And I said, why? I said, simple. And he said, simple. They couldn't afford the rent. Six to 12,000 a month, ground floor shop lots, closed down because they couldn't afford the rent. I looked around, I, I really did, this time with my eyes open wider because I've walked past these shop lots all the time when I go and get my lunch. And it never really dawned on me until he spoke to me and he said, and, and the, why are these shops closed? It never really dawned on me. Why are these shops closed? Because here's the thing, when MCO is lifted, these shops are never going to reopen. These businesses are shut. It's gone. It never hit me until that conversation a few days ago. Friends, I know we say, you know, don't set our eyes on the things of the world, but that's not the point today. The point is this, we look so inward that we end up forgetting that God's heart is for the world around us and we're losing sight of the world. We're losing sight of God's heart. We're losing sight of looking at the world around us with His love and with His eyes. We lose sight of God. We lose sight of the world. But here's the third one that I think is very, very interesting. Again, a symptom of apathy. And it is this. We don't technically lose sight of the world. In fact, we may be so involved in causes and so helping and serving the communities. But as we do that, we are still so out of touch with Jesus. That means we lose sight of God, just that we're still involved in the world. We're still involved in helping people. We're still involved in serving the communities and help to uplift the poor and all of that and all these causes. I, I call that activism. You, so you're doing all of this work and all of this helping and, and people are, are, you may even be commending you for it. But as you do all of this, you are still so out of touch with Jesus. What is that? That's a real possibility 
for many of us. That's a very real situation for us. A lot of us as Christians, when we do a lot of things, but we lose sight of God. We're freely giving our time and our energy to be with people more than our time and energy to be with Jesus. You know, Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Friends, He says, for whatever the Father does, that's what He does. That's what the Son does as well. And that's in John chapter 5, verse 19. So my question to us then is this, how can we then be doing the things of God if we are looking at God and what He is doing? If we're not looking at God and what He is doing, how can we be doing the things of God? Friends, these are symptoms of apathy. The other word I have for it is the word indifference. You see, it's not because we're not doing anything. In fact, I think many of us throughout this pandemic are doing much more than we may have ever been doing in our lives, right? We're working hard, we're working tirelessly, we're doing all that we can do. But the problem is this, we are apathetic and indifferent to what God is really doing. We're not looking at Him. We're doing whatever we think we need to do to be on, to survive. But we're not looking at what God is really doing. And so friends, our primary apathy, our primary apathy is that we care less about God and about what He's doing, His heart for the world, and what He's really up to, even though we may not be doing nothing. So even though we may be doing nothing or doing everything, we lose sight of God and we become apathetic towards God. Why? Why are we apathetic? Friends, I think the reason for that is this. We have abandoned our love for Jesus. That's a phrase that we will come across when we look at Revelation chapter 2. God's message to the church in Ephesus, you have abandoned your first love. You see, God recognizes what the church in Ephesus was doing for Him. But He was chastising them, He was correcting them because they were not doing or they were not being with Him. They had abandoned their first love. They had abandoned Jesus. And when their hearts are not aligned with what God's heart is about, all that they have done, as great as it may be, would have come to nothing. Remember that God isn't just sitting down and you know, letting this pandemic take, its, take, take place and, and just letting circumstances run its course. No, the kingdom of God will continue to grow and expand and take territory in spite of what's going on. But here's the thing. If our hearts are not aligned with God, neither will our hands be. If our hearts are not aligned with God, neither will our hands be. But friends, I want you to imagine, what if the entire church, what if all of our lives, what if our families and our homes and our communities of, of, of Jesus followers begin to dedicate our entire lives, our entire energy focused on God and doing what He has called us to do, not being apathetic. Imagine the kind of power, the kind of authority, the kind of influence and the kind of impact that our church, not just SIBKL, but the church of Christ will have throughout this entire world. Friends, I'm calling us to overcome apathy. I'm calling us to stand up and say, to this, this, this spiritual attitude that the enemy will definitely want us to have of being apathetic and say, no, I will overcome 
apathy. I will overcome this indifferent spirit that is inside of me and I will say, I will do what God wants me to do. I will focus my eyes on God. I will not lose sight of God and I will not lose sight of this world. How do we do that? How do we overcome apathy? Three things that I want to just encourage you with. First of all, renewed focus. Renewed focus. On what? On who? On God. Renewed focus on God, church, because if, if a symptom of apathy is losing sight of God, then we've got to renew our focus on God. And how do we do that? Friends, I don't want to talk about disciplines in inverted commas of saying you must pray, you must worship, you must read the word, but here's, here's the real truth. Here's the reality. That's what we've got to do. Friends, the only way we can renew our focus on God is when we begin to pray and worship and read the Word. Because this is how God reveals Himself to us. This is how God allows us to encounter Him. And so my question to you is this, can we do that together? Can we do that in our homes, in our prayer altars? Can we do that in our in our corporate prayer altars together? Can we come together and say, God, we want to encounter You. We want to know Your heart. I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, as I was preparing for this message, I, 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 had a, I had a bad week. I had a lot of things that were going on over the week and I knew, yes, I've got to prepare this message for today, for this recording. And, and as I was looking through that week, and I, I felt before I should even type out my sermon, I, I needed to spend time with God. I needed to spend time with God because I needed to renew my focus on God. I need to renew my, my sights on Jesus Christ. And so I did. And friends, I'll tell you it's risky because if you totally surrender that time to God, you have no idea when it's going to end. And God can take His entire time with you, just revealing to you and just spending time with you. And you may only end up starting this sermon hours before it's actually recorded. But here's the thing. When you surrender your time with God and say, God, I'm going to dedicate this time with you because you're more important than anything else. You're more important in terms of my devotion in terms of my commitment, in terms of my dedication, I'm going to spend this time with you. And I did. So here's what I did. I started worshipping Him. I, I just turned on Spotify, selected a few songs, and I said, okay, I know these are the songs that are going to come out, I'm just going to worship God. And when these songs were playing, and as, as I lift up my, 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 my heart to Him in worship, my hands to Him in worship, my voice, and by the way, if you're at home uh, and, and you know, no one else is in the house, which happened to be the case yesterday for me, at that time, you sing. Lah. Nobody, there's nobody to care how you sound like also. Right? But I just worship God. I just sing. I just, I just lift up my hands to God and say, God, you are worth it all. You are my King. And, and I just worshipped Him. But even as I did, God began to start revealing things to me. It is not massive, you know, revelation uh, that, that, that was happening, it was, but it was deep emotional revelation that applied to my life. In fact, this is what happened yesterday as I was worshipping God. As I did, the words of the lyrics of the songs that I had played weren't really going on the same tangent that what, of what God was showing me and what God was teaching me and revealing to me at that time. And so it came to a point where I, I stopped Spotify. I stopped that whole worship set that, was, that I had selected. And I just got down on my knees. And the only thing that, that I had in terms of words in my mouth was, draw me close to you, Lord. 
draw me close to you. I didn't even sing it. Some of you know that song, draw me close to you, right? I didn't even sing it. I just said, draw me close to you, God. Draw me close to you. And my heart was just, was just crying out to him because as I, as I was worshiping God, I, I realized, and God, I think, was showing me the distance between him and me, him and I. The distance that, that had already been formed because of the things that have happened over the weekend and the fact that I had not really come back to him and say, God, I want to just be close to you. And so all I said was, draw me close to you, Lord, on repeat. It was like loop, right? It was just, draw me close to you, Lord. Draw me close to you, Lord. Draw me close to you, Lord. Draw me deeper with you. Draw me back to you. Draw me close to you, Lord. And that's all I said. And friends, in your time, when you renew your focus with God, when you renew your, 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 your sights on Jesus, oftentimes, that may be the only thing that you need to say. You don't need to say loud, long, impactful, wordy, verbose prayers. No, sometimes it's just your expression of your heart saying, God, draw me close to you. Draw me nearer and nearer and deeper into you. And that was what happened for me yesterday. Friends, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is this. If we're going to deal with our apathy, if we're going to overcome apathy, it starts off with a renewed focus on God. A renewed focus on God. Uh, where we set our eyes and our sights on Jesus once again and say, God, I'm coming back to you. I want to be close to you. I want to be with you. Because here's what he does then. From a renewed focus we have a revived faith. A revived faith. What does a revived faith look like? You know, when you renew your focus with God, into God, and set your sights on Jesus, this is what God does for us. God then builds our faith. He builds our spirit man. He says, Wayan, you're focusing on me. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to strengthen your faith. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to make you stronger in your faith than ever before. I'm going to honor the time that you spend with me and I'm going to show you so much more of who I am. And that's what he does. You begin to understand the love of God even more. You begin to experience the joy of the Lord. You begin to just experience the strength and the power that God gives to you, the authority, all of that, because God is building up your faith. Friends, we need revival in our lives. We need a revival of our faith, of our hearts, in our lives. We need to be able to say, God, my faith is being revived by you. Revive me, Lord. Raise me up. Raise up my faith in you. And as we do, God is going to honor that and say, I'm going to show you more of who I am. I'm going to give you more and more encounters and experiences that will strengthen your faith in me. You know, the author to the Hebrews said this, and this is in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest, Jesus Christ, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean and from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And get this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and you know this, we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Friends, it's not the world that will revive us. It's not the world that will revive our faith. God does that. When we renew our focus on Him, He revives our faith. He builds us up. He strengthens us. For what? Renewed focus, revived faith, and from there, a restored fervor, passion, a restored desire and excitement to do what God is doing in this world, to be a part and to partner with Him and to say, God, what you are doing, I want to be a part of. Because, hey, I've looked at you, Jesus. You're awesome. You're glorious. You're, you're God. You're the King. You're my King. And because if that's what you're doing in this world, then that's what I want to be a part of as well. So friends, there will be a restored fervor for the things of God, a restored fervor for what God is doing and saying, God, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what you are doing in this nation, in my church, in my family, in my community, and I want to serve you in what you are doing. You know, God will reveal what He wants you to do. When you set your sights on God, God will reveal what it is that He wants you to do. Because there's so many things we can do in this world. So many needs to be met. But God knows what exactly He has for you to do and He will reveal that to you. And sometimes it may not be an outright direction from God like, do this. But a lot of times, it comes from what God has already placed in our hearts, in our talents, in our skills, in our passion. And says, I've given this to you, Wayan. I've given this to you, brother and sister. I've given this to you, child, daughter, son. Do this. And I'll give you two instances in scripture where this happened. And I, I think as you do look into these stories, you begin to see how God works when we renew our focus on Him, when, we, when He revives our faith and restores our fervor for the things of God and what He does. First of all, the story of David. You know, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David um, looked at his own palace. You know, my house is made of cedar, right? That's like, Key, um, key point here, awesome wood, powerful, strong, nice palace that he had. But then he said this to prophet Nathan, but God lives in a tent. And we know this because the tabernacle was what it was, a tent, right? There was no temple at the time. And he says, my house looks so nice, but God, he lives in a tent. He doesn't have to, even have to say, I'm going to build a temple. Nathan understands it. It's, it's implied. He, Nathan just tells David, Whatever you want to do, go and do it. I know what you're going to do, right? But whatever, you, whatever it is you want to do, go and do it. I'm going to stop there for a while. David's not idle. He's king. He's got a lot of things to do. He's got a lot of things on his hands. But here was a man who had a relationship with God that was more important than anything else that he had. And out of that love for God, he said, I need to honor God and glorify Him and build a temple that is worthy of the name of God. That was on his heart. Now we know of course that God later on decided or, or told him that his son Solomon would build a temple. But David, David 
would spend his time, his money, his energy. And he said, if Solomon is going to build a temple, I'm going to make massive preparations so that my son Solomon would have a good head start in building the temple. I will do what I can in my time, in my season as king, and will do all the best I can to make sure that God has the best temple we can get. That was David. That was David's heart. Why? Because David wasn't a perfect man. He's committed grave sins. We know that. But here's the thing, we also know that he is a man who returned to God in repentance and restored his relationship, renewed his focus on God. The Psalms show us how much he recognized the unfailing mercies of God and his love over him. And so he renewed his focus on God. And as he did, he realigned his heart with God's. And because of his love for God, he set out to do what God has called over his life. God called him a man after his own heart, and that was true all the way till the end of his days. Even in Acts 13.22, Paul repeats that same phrase and says, God called David a man after his own heart. Here was a man who was not apathetic towards God. The last example I'm going to give you is a man by the name of Paul. In the New Testament, you will see some of the letters where Paul then talks about a collection he's taking from the churches that he is visiting or the churches that he is building and founding throughout the Gentile nations. But that collection was to be sent to the church in Jerusalem, Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And he would strongly encourage all the Gentile churches that he was visiting or he was, he was training and he was building up to say, give towards this collection, give an offering towards this collection. He was eager to do that, so earnest about it. Why? Here's the thing. There isn't anything in scripture that outrightly tells us why Paul was doing this. It wasn't a case of, you know, God told me to do this, so I'm now going to call all the Gentile churches to come and do this with me. No. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, it says there that the church in Jerusalem had asked that Paul, do not, that Paul does not forget the poor. And Paul says this in Galatians, this was something I was so eager to do. It's understood that the poor, in inverted commas, referred to here, is the Jerusalem church. Many of them were poor, yes. But that was the reference for the, church, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem at that time. They were, again, under oppression. They were also suffering a famine. And so Paul was saying, I was eager to do this. And Romans chapter 15, verse 25 to 27, gives us a bit of an explanation as to why he was so eager to do this. He says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, these are Gentile churches, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in the material blessings. Friends, Paul's fervor to financially support the believers in Jerusalem perhaps ironically came from the fact that he was called to minister to the Gentiles. He was a Jew, a former persecutor of the church. We know that. But his life was turned around in a major refocus towards God in that encounter with Jesus. And he was called to minister and to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But even so, he remembers that God's heart is not just for the Gentiles, it's also for his fellow people, the believers, in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers. And so he calls the Gentiles into full partnership in the gospel with the Jewish believers. 
You know, one of the things that you will see out of this collection, besides the fact that they, the, the Jewish believers were financially supported during that tough season in their, in, their, in their history, was that what Paul had done was begin to foster a unity between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, a unity of the church that would have not been seen if, had, if it had not been for that collection. In fact, there was such division between Gentiles and Jews at the time, but the church became a beacon of unity because of what Paul did. Friends, when, we, when God restores our favor, fervor, when God restores our passion and we do what God has called us to do, we won't just see the fruit of our labors in the, in, in the physical, but we will see them birth more fruit than we can ever imagine. Friends, when we overcome apathy in our lives and become passionate for the things of God, we become powerful warriors for the kingdom of heaven. Powerful warriors for the kingdom of God. And that's the picture I want to see. That's the picture of a victorious life. And together, as a church, that's the picture of a victorious, overcoming church. A church that says, I will not deal with apathy. I will not, uh, sorry, I will deal with apathy. I will not wallow in apathy. And I will overcome apathy so that I become a, a, a church, so that we become a church that is powerful, that is effective for the kingdom of God. One final thought. What about my survival? What about my survival mode? What about my defense mechanism? My encouragement to you, church, is this. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, said, Why do you worry about the clothes you wear, about the food you eat? God knows all of these things and will provide for you. And in Matthew 6.33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Time and time again, I have seen how God has taken care of myself and my family when we set our hearts to do what God has called us to do. And many of you can testify to the same experience with God. Friends, God is no man's debtor. So let us set our hearts on Him. Let us set our focus on Him. Let, it, let our faith be revived and our fervor restored for the things of God and for what God is doing. And friends, when we do that, we overcome apathy and we become an army of God ready to influence and impact our nation and our world for Jesus. Shall we pray? Can I just invite you to just place your hands over your heart? I know that the Spirit is speaking and I know that over the, over the course of this message, the Spirit is also revealing situations and circumstances in your heart and saying, I want to deal with that level of apathy. I want to deal with that, that indifference that you have in this area. And I want, you to, I want you to just surrender that to God right now. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters, my, my, my fellow believers, this church of God, into your hands. Lord, we know that you came and gave it all for us. Lord, we want to give it all for you, for the glory of your name, for your majesty, for your, uh, for your kingdom to be made known and expanded over this earth. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We say, Lord, we deal with the apathy in our lives. We want to address it and we want to overcome it with a renewed focus on you, with a revived faith, with restored fervor and passion for the things of God and what you are doing and saying, we want to be a part of that. And God, we will become an army 
just like you, you prof, just like you showed us in Joel, in the, uh, through the prophet Joel, an army of God that is just rising up, and and nothing can stand in its way, and we will overcome, and we would expand the kingdom of God in such a powerful, powerful way. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Even as we worship God, can I just encourage you? Just look to God, renew your focus on God, and just. Be in the presence of God as you encounter Him. God bless you, church.